Welcome to Making a Scene, an Esplanade podcast about how art gets made. We're back with another episode, this time about the story of Western opera in Singapore. I'm your host, Edith Podesta. As a theatre maker, I've directed several operas, and I've always been fascinated by the way this genre combines music and drama with visual art, text and dance to create a heightened experience of intense emotion. Opera can trace its earliest roots all the way back to ancient Greece, and it became popular in 16th century Italy before spreading to the rest of Europe. That may sound like this art form is very removed from modern life, but, as I said when I directed the 2020 Singapore premiere of Wagner's De Valkyrie, performed by the Orchestra of the Music Makers at the Esplanade, opera is all around us. You may have heard De Valkyrie, for example, amping up the tension in the iconic war movie Apocalypse Now. Or you may remember James Bond in a dramatic gunfight during a performance of Tosca. And Tom Cruise doing the same in a Mission Impossible movie, this time during a staging of Turandot. Perhaps most famously, you may recall Julia Roberts in Pretty Woman, welling up with tears as she watches her first opera, La Triviata. In a movie full of memorable dialogue, this scene elicits a line for the ages when Julia declares to her fellow opera attendees that the experience was so good I almost peed my pants. La Triviata was created by Italian composer Giuseppe Verdi in the 1850s, and it remains one of the most frequently performed operas in the world. In the late 1980s, it was staged here by the Singapore Lyric Theatre, which would become the Singapore Lyric Opera in 1990, Singapore's first professional company for Western opera. Ruben Lai, the co-founder and co-artistic director of the opera company Larietta Productions, remembers catching this 1980s production of La Triviata at Kalang Theatre. He was a young student at the time and, unlike Julia Roberts, did not quite take to it. I remember being bored, really, really bored by it. You know, all these people standing on stage and screaming at me in a language I didn't understand. And it just went on and on and on. It almost put me off for life. But something must have stuck. Sometime later, he was enchanted by a staging of another Verdi opera, Rigoletto, which he caught on TV. Ruben went on to study music and singing and became an opera performer. And Liao Siakfa, the co-founder and chairman of the Singapore Lyric Opera, became a friend. Liao later co-founded Opera Viva, Singapore's second opera company. In 2012, it staged Fences, an opera about interracial love in the turbulent 1960s of Singapore and Malaysia. It was composed by US-born John Sharpley, with a libretto written by Singapore poet Robert Yeo. Ruben was a member of this cast, and this production was where he first met Akiko Otao, a soprano who had then just relocated to Singapore from Japan. The year was 2000 
11, the earthquake tsunami had happened and all my jobs got canceled. And my agent said, well, people really don't want to see opera right now. And I was like, okay, sure, well, well enough. Um, and then my partner at the time was offered a job here. And I, I have to admit that I knew very little about Singapore when I moved here, but there were no earthquakes and there were no tsunamis and there was no radioactive anything. And it's English speaking. So I said, sign me up. Here's one memory from Ruben about the rehearsal process for Fences. I remember Akiko walking in and, you know, she was very bubbly. The rest of us were really serious, you know, like, mm, <laughs> this is serious work, right? Yes. At one point during the break, I hear Madame Butterfly coming from the toilet. Because somebody, really, some you're genius... Really, going to tell this story? Yeah, of course oh, you man. Did. Some genius managed to lock herself in the toilet <laughs> without her phone. And so to get... Everyone's attention, she had to sing really loudly. And so we, someone had to go and rescue her. It was hilarious. And, you know, once rehearsal started, I think we sort of hit it off. Yeah, I played your father-in-law and my son at that time, her lover, was older than me. So I don't know how it works, but, you know, that's the magic of the theater. of belief. When Liao passed away in 2015, the two friends found themselves pondering new directions. I think it came down to, I'm very guilty of asking existential questions to Ruben quite often. And oftentimes, like, what is the meaning of life? Why are we doing this? I do remember after being at his funeral, what are we doing with our music? What are all of these really well-trained singers? What are we doing? What is the purpose of the, what, what are we serving? And who are we serving it's not just about us. It's not just about, you know, Ruben and I wanting to sing something. How does it affect our audience? How does it affect society? So it was probably one of those, along those existential questions, which I do usually go on a tangent about, which kind of started, well, nothing is stopping us from telling stories that we think is important today. Nothing is stopping us from asking composers from the region to write for us. Nothing is stopping us from telling our own story that is relevant today. And I think in many ways we have a very similar view about the role of the singer, you know, it's like what, what do singers do, right? What, what is the point of opera? What is the, um, what is the power of it that we've experienced for ourselves? It's like, could we get other people to experience it as well? They wanted to find out. So in 2015, Larietta was born. Its goal is to present bite-sized, relevant and contemporary chamber opera in English, and its development has been boosted by a growing number of trained opera singers in Singapore. There were a lot more people coming back from overseas, more people taking the chance of being a singer. I mean, I left in 97 to go for my undergraduate, and I don't think there were that many people who went to study singing, right? That all changed in the mid-2000s onwards. And then from 2010 onwards, when not only was NAFA, voice department really, really settled and grew into its own thing, right? You had a critical mass. And then YST started a voice program. So suddenly you started to have more and more people. And people came back too from overseas. And then SOTA also helped. Suddenly uh, a new generation, a whole new generation studying singing, like from a much younger age. This phenomenon had also spurred the founding of New Opera Singapore in 2011 by South Korean-born soprano Jong A-ri. 
Here's Jeremy Chu, the company's assistant artistic director and general manager, with more about its mission. There was a rising generation of new singers that were looking for a proper platform to hone their craft. And that's how New Opera Singapore came about. I think Ms. Jong's first attempt at moving away from presenting opera traditionally was to inject local flavour into it. New Opera was the first company to include Singlish, as well as to hire local stand-up comedians to be part of an otherwise Western traditional opera. Today, New Opera Singapore strives to present operas that reflect its spirit of adventure and contemporary attitude. Its embrace of experimentation certainly came in handy during the past two years of performance restrictions due to COVID-19. The pandemic really forced us to look at how we could reinvent ourselves. And a recent production that really put us out of our comfort zone is the Rick's Progress that was released last year. Till I die then no fever, or by lightning am struck. Let me live by my wits, and trust to my luck, and trust to my luck. That involved having the singers record their voices, puppeteers having puppets move on stage and filming the whole thing as a movie. So it's really not how we would normally stage an opera production, but because of the restrictions at that point in time, that was something we were forced to do. It was definitely a lot more challenging than how we would normally stage an opera, dealing with many sorts of new difficulties. For example, puppets being puppets, they do not have the full physical facilities that a human would have. And then to try to emulate or stage the movements, that required a lot more work. The puppeteers were not musicians, so it was equally difficult for them to be able to anticipate how the music would go and then to have to act to that. It was released online on, on YouTube and of course gathered a lot of interest. People were appreciative of the fact that we put in so much work towards the production. Even as the pandemic has loosened its hold on live performances, the company has continued to explore new creative frontiers. What we just did in August was a double bill, two shorter operas that had the common thread of human communications and our fixation with devices. So there was a comedy, The Telephone by Minotti, where the male lead is trying to propose, but the fiancé was just taking one phone call after another, making it almost impossible for him to propose. In the end, he had to resort to calling her on the phone to propose. And that had a happy ending. The contrast is Poulenc's Lavoie, where it's a single soprano role, very difficult soliloquy, monologue, where she acts the role of a lady that is obsessing over her lost lover and going through a lot of inner mental issues. The set design was really quite simple, just three panels that could be moved around. So there was one particular scene where the obsessive lady was seeing herself appear on CCTV images. So it's a bit delusional, it's a mental breakdown sort of thing. Over at Larietta, expanding the range of operas staged in Singapore is also something that lies at the heart of this company's artistic adventures. Four Note Opera 
one of the strangest things I think we've ever done. The opera itself literally only uses four notes of the scale. It has four singers and an extra one just as a non sequitur, right? You know, it has no story. The characters are called soprano, met alto, tenor and bass. And also, I think, funnily enough, because it is such a blank canvas, it was also one of the ones that we had dancers in. We had an artist, a young upcoming artist, design the posters. And then also we had all these crazy ideas about how everybody was going to be dressed. Remember, there's no story. It's just people singing about, for example, one duet is like, you know, there are 39 variations in this duet. This is number one. And that's it. They just count off how many variations there are. It allowed so many people from so many different, like the dancers, you know, the singers and the lighting, all came together to tell something very strange, but also very compelling. I mean, for something that has no story, it was very well received. It was the culmination of a lot of the things that we were talking about and our ideas come to life on stage in a show that the audience doesn't have to know that it's weird. They just have to enjoy it. And they did. Another milestone for the company was a Singapore trilogy created by composer Chen Zheng Yi and librettist Jack Lin. The trilogy comprised three chamber operas, Luxa Cantata, Window Shopping, and Copy for One. We can't really talk about Larietta without talking about a Singapore trilogy. So Chen Zheng Yi, the composer, and Jack Lin and I have worked together since Window Shopping. So after that, they had always talked about um, wanting to make it a trilogy. But they just couldn't figure out what that story was going to be because the first one was Laksa Cantata. And then the second one is Window Shopping. Time to shop, time to buy myself a new So Singaporeans love for food, Singaporeans love for shopping, and then how? So we went through many, many drafts. And then Copy for One finally came around, and then we were able to commission that and workshop through that. Really long story short, it is everything that I believe a contemporary opera can and should do coming out of this region. Because the story of Copy for One is of Asian parent and child relationship that is so typical. Our way of saying I love you is, have you eaten? It is not, I love you, you're so great. And sometimes because of where we are in Singapore, actually, like because we get so much Western influence in in media and in movies, and we kind of like, I've never heard my parents tell me they love me, but I know they do. Do you know what I mean? But because of the way movies and, and TV shows portray Western families, it's sometimes really hard for us. The story of Kopi for One really is that of an Asian family who can just cannot say what we really want to say. I was pregnant at the time. I was five months pregnant. And then as we went through nine drafts, nine drafts of that libretto and months and months of revisions, 
it just made me think like, if a parent watches this opera and then calls their child the next day, or if the new generation of parents watches this show and thinks about how we want to communicate with our kids, wouldn't that be great? For us, opera is a seed. It's a conversation starter. So you go see a show with a loved one. Usually you talk about it after, right? And sometimes that little seed gives us the opportunity to go, hey, you know, the show that we saw, actually, I kind of feel like that. It's really like, I always feel so embarrassed to say it, but you know what? I really appreciate you or whatever it is. Like, it's a seed to start conversations. Opera is a seed to start feeling. Of course, experiments are by nature risky, and sometimes their productions don't quite click with the audience. For instance, in 2017, Larietta staged Purgatory, an opera about a family in decline, featuring music by British composer Gordon Cross and text by Irish writer William Butler Yeats. Purgatory was a difficult subject. We set it in a Peranakan setting. It's, it's pretty heavy. I mean, the subject matter was heavy. It's not that long, the opera. But, you know, it was very difficult to watch, and the music was hideously difficult. The people who liked it really liked it. And that's all I'll say, I think. It's part of the reason why I think, for us, that bite-sized aspect of Lariette is really important. Because not all music is melodic or rather melodious and that different sounds can create different moods, right? Like horror film is not a horror film without the soundtrack behind it. So in a way, it really did make you feel like you're in purgatory. But because it's short, the audience who did enjoy it felt like, okay, this is short enough. If it was two hours long, I don't know if I could handle that. But it's also getting our audience to experience different music. Yeah, I think if you've never heard difficult, spiky music before, this is a good introduction, you know? Mm -hmm. And there's something to watch as well. I think the visual aspect really helped, you know? It was almost ambitious, I think. While visual spectacle is an essential part of the opera experience, live music and human voices performing incredible feats that are unamplified by microphones are also core to this genre. Opera singing takes intense and sustained training, as twin brothers Jonathan Charles Tay and David Charles Tay know well. They are both tenors who got their first taste of opera from the music elective program in secondary school and later trained in the United States. This is Jonathan. Oh, it's a lot. You have your regular voice lessons with somebody that is able to understand your voice and help you to produce better sounds, learn how to use your body, how to engage the entire instrument to produce your voice in a healthy manner. And then you have coaches who have to teach you the music, the styles, and you have diction coaches teach you how to pronounce the music that's in Italian, German, in French. You have even English is also quite needed. And then you have acting lessons, movement lessons, so many things. And this is David. Very often we're singing with an orchestra and there are no mics. 
and you have to learn how to access that kind of resonance that cuts through an orchestra. And that takes a while. And then, you know, your voice also needs time to, to grow up. 21-year-old me is very different from 30-something me. And I'm sure in my 40s it would be different again. There's so many different things that you got to figure out who you are as an artist, you know, and learn how to be on stage and act. It's the combination of talent, but also a lot of hard work and training, yeah. In 2018, the brothers decided, along with their friend Shrida Marnie, to set up a company called The Opera People. We decided to work together to create something that we could flesh out our own vision of where we want to take this art form in Singapore. And I think it was born out of a lot of excitement about the scene. You know, more and more people were studying and coming back and being better and better at this opera thing. So it was very, at a very exciting time. We had already met a lot of them and worked with them and we worked really well together. So I think that's also part of how we came up with the name. We really wanted a company first and foremost to be a platform for Singapore-based artists, musicians and singers. It became also about being relevant to contemporary cultural social issues. How do we bring this art form to another level as Asian people in an Asian country? How do we make this Western art form speak to us and speak to our audiences and speak to the culture? We have this recital series, concert series, yeah, called In Our Manner of Speaking. And for the last, I would say, three years or so, we've always commissioned new works that Singapore-based or Singaporean composers have written for us, right? Songs or sets of songs, like song cycles. We also make a point to select already written songs from these local composers as well. Beyond that, and the other prong is about presenting opera, that some of which are hundreds of years old, right? Not in a, simply a museum concept or manner or presentation. Because I don't know if, even though I love opera and I am in, you know, in the opera industry, I don't know if I need to see a bunch of Singaporean people standing on stage dressed as ancient Europeans, <laughs> pretending you know, that it means anything. It's also a deeper level of how do we bring originally Western art form into an Asian space, into a contemporary Asian space. You know, I think it's also very superficial to just set it in ancient China instead, or just take something that is from 18th century Italy and put it into an HDB flat. Sure, it's been done, even done by us before, <laughs> but you know, it can go deeper than that. It can go more specific about certain issues or certain things, and we find a way to, as an Asian community, to present this beautiful music and these masterworks, but in a way that speaks to all of us now. I think that's the other way of being contemporary. So what does that mean in practice? The production that we just did, we partnered with Aware Singapore because the rape of Lucretia was based on the Roman myth of Lucretia, who was raped by Tarquinius, Etruscan ruler in Rome. And her death sparked the revolution that led to the forming of the democracy in the Republic, where they overthrew the Etruscans. But uh, beyond that, the opera is really about power, gender, 
abuse, violence. And so we had a partnership with AWARE and we did a panel where people talked about this issue and also the issue as seen in the opera and the problems also with the opera because it was written in the 1940s and, and how it still relates to us today. I mean, this is an ancient story that still speaks true in 2022, which blows our minds, right? Like, if we didn't need to tell the story, we wouldn't. Because sex, gender is still a huge uh, issue in our society, where women are constantly being told what they can do with their bodies or used and abused by men. So it's just like, you know, taking uh, time to consider these things and how we can program our season to reflect and incorporate these thoughts and, and issues. I think the big one that really blew our own minds was in 2019, our second year. But I think with Dear Zwerg or Dwarf by Alexander Zemlinsky was really... It was a milestone, milestone for us. Milestone we couldn't work. believe that this Zemlinsky opera was... We pulled it off in Singapore. We couldn't believe that. I think our audiences who know opera also, they was like, we can't believe that just happened. <laughs> How did you just do that? Because it's a very, very difficult opera. Okay, so opera is already very difficult. But there's different, different levels of difficulty, lah. Okay, <laughs> like uh, it's just very hard to sing, very hard to play. It was like forty-piece orchestra, a big cast and a chorus. It was very difficult dramatically and, and, and really tough subject matter too. Yeah. So the opera is based on Oscar Wilde's "The Birthday of the Infanta," her short story, and basically this princess she gets given a dwarf for her birthday as a present and he's really seen by everybody as a little freak and a little toy like a pet but the dwarf doesn't know this and falls in love with the princess and thinks that he's a handsome prince and later finds out from her that he really isn't and she's not in love with him and when, he, when she reveals to him a mirror right and he sees himself for the first time then he realizes and then uh, he dies of a broken heart. But what we did was we asked ourselves, do we really want to have a, a regular person pretend to be a little person? I mean, maybe not. Yeah, so instead of making it about him being a dwarf, we made it about him being very poor. And the dwarf was not a dwarf. He was like a a regular-sized person. And he came to a girl's school that was putting on the play to audition for the role of the dwarf and falls in love with the girl who plays the princess. So it was more about classism and elitism. we always talking not just about, hey, Lola, what do we want to do next? It's also about what are the issues that we are seeing in our society or in Singapore or in, even in the world today. And sometimes these conversations then bring out these ideas on, hey, you know what, what about this opera? I think this talks about this and maybe this would be an interesting idea for us. Thanks to the strong contemporary inclinations and young performers in many of these opera companies, local audiences for these adventurous productions actually skew quite young. And that is true even of an established company like the Singapore Lyric Opera. Since 2021, SLO has been led by manager Gina Ng. Gina is also a musician. She plays the clarinet, and she first joined SLO as an intern back in 2012. That was when she saw her very first live opera. 
I was quite lucky because they were doing Don Giovanni at that point of time. I was overwhelmed. I didn't imagine that I'm able to witness something like that in Singapore. Because to us, going to concerts is very regular. But like opera, opera has dance, element has all sorts of elements of different art forms. Then when all these things come together, it's, it's quite cool because I also get the front row seats. So everything is just very massive to me and you know, music is good and, and the voices were so powerful. It's like, I couldn't believe that they were not mic'd up, but well, that's the truth. <laughs> so they were like really in my face. Then that's where I told myself, wow, I want to do this. I really want to do this and organise everything together. She did try out other paths first, including a stint in the corporate sector and freelancing as a music educator, but eventually she decided to return full-time to the SLO. I want to garner more support for the arts. We should educate our kids when they are young on this kind of programs, so it will be a norm for them to like attend operas, attend concerts. So I was thinking, okay, maybe as I teach, I can impart this to them. But I realised that the difference I make it's just to my students, but not to a bigger pool of people. So in order for me to have that reach, it's actually working in an arts organisation like SLO. In 2020, because of COVID, we came up with a lot of initiatives to push like digital stuff. And then we get more modern in terms of using social media. This couple of years, I managed to lay some groundwork for the company where we have more local talents performing in our shows. And then we have more focused performance on our choruses. In the past, the choruses are only involved in the gala concerts, in the engagements, like, or in the part as part of like a few pieces and all. But we managed to get more support to have like our own chorus concert, not just for the children, but also for the adult, for the youth. So I think that kind of helped to reach out to more people actually, because. We have to remember our chorus, they are like our stakeholders. Most of them are all volunteers. This year, we actually commissioned two composers to write an original piece and story of Singapore folk tales. Very short, like 20-minute pieces. So to bring this to schools or to like our various outreach programs. So these are our efforts to reach out to the community and to the masses. And then also revising our ticket pricing to make opera affordable for everybody. SLO grooms new generations of artists and cultural professionals through training programs like its various choruses, the SLO Orchestra, and the Music Academy of Singapore Lyric Opera. It also has an artist training program, or the ATP. For our ATP program, right, we actually have the semi-staged productions, especially for our ATP singers. So it's like a platform for them to showcase what they have learned during our training. So in the semi-stage opera, we reduce the duration of the opera to make it really bite-sized for our audience and accessible for them to understand. So through this, we not just provide a platform for our artists, we also provide like a bridge towards people who are new to opera who may feel that, you know what, um, three hours commitments or singing through an opera may be too tiring for me. I don't know what it is about. So I think a semi-stage is like a teaser into opera. These productions also provide opportunities for SLO to better understand its audience. The recent cosy semi-stage that we did earlier this year, 
So one of the audience actually said that, you know, to them, opera is singing in a foreign language that they do not understand. So in our publicity materials, we indicate, you know, English and Chinese subtitles are provided. And then, you know, our dialogue is going to be in English. So I, I, one of the feedback I got from the audience is that with things like that, it helps them understand opera better and make it less intimidating to sit through. In the years ahead, Gina hopes all these initiatives will bear fruit as SLO continues to evolve. So in the early years, our founders were keen to create more performing opportunities for opera amateurs and to promote and present Western opera. So our revised vision, right, is to position ourselves amongst the leading opera companies in the ASEAN region. And we intend to continue growing our audience pool locally as well as strategically channel our resources to put Singapore on the map of international opera scene through our diverse, inclusive, highly curated programs. We believe that our audience sizes will grow in the coming years. So, like, if I may quote what our previous chairman, Mr. Tome, said in the past, as a major cosmopolitan city, we deserve to have an opera scene in Singapore. And I think we came a long way from then and have achieved what SL had initially envisioned. Because look around you now, I really see a vibrant opera scene. Like there are really more more movement and more engagements between, um, it's not just SLO, there are a lot of other companies doing very well for the opera. Also, SLO has been entertaining audience and training a wide spectrum of artists over the past 30 years. So I think this is where we see differently from our earlier years. As a young arts administrator in her early 30s, Gina also hopes to see more people joining the ranks as leaders for the arts. I really think that Singapore is shortage of arts administrators and people of our generation doing it. It takes a lot of like passion and determination to push through being an arts administrator. We don't just do paperwork. We actually plan a lot. Actually, don't be afraid. You only live once, so just go for it. <laughs> you can regret later, but <laughs> but it's worth a try. If you want to contribute to the arts, right? This is what we can do also, not just being performers. As for the newer companies on the block, they have some pretty lofty aspirations as well. The opera people, for instance, is looking into further explorations in technology and expanding its supports for young singers here. We are definitely interested in um, the online space, you know, and we were sort of forced to do a lot of that in 2020 because of the, the pandemic. Obviously, everybody went online. We came out with our new online series called Kopi and Song. And the first iteration of that in 2020 was actually 10 weeks of a concert every week featuring a Singapore-based singer. And that really brought a lot of joy to the community. That later on led to us making Singapore's first opera movie because we couldn't do a live show, but we still had the theatre that we booked. <laughs> so instead, we filmed the movie. And I think that's worth exploring. And then also, starting next year, we have a new program that we're creating called Young Bards. And it's a platform for emerging, younger generation of singers that are coming out of university. So they are trained, 
But, you know, there's a lot more training to be done after you finish your university. Part of our mission is to always show the local singers in the best light and singing things that make them really shine and make them really sound good. You know, sometimes people say, Singapore singers are not good or whatever. It's, it's usually the singers are fine. It's just that they were singing things that didn't show them well. So that's part of the challenge is that as well. But the young bards will be for them, that they can really work with directors, work with conductors, and really build their stagecraft and get on stage and do it. I think that's an exciting thing to be doing. Why we are passionate about what we're doing here is because we're Singaporeans. So it's one thing to be just one of a million in a big country like America or in Europe, but it's different when you are in a small country and there's just a lot more you can do, a lot more you can build, a lot more possibilities. I think that's what really drew us to the work that we're doing. Because in Singapore, it's a developed country and there's more people interested in art and in, in theatre and in, in music than ever before, I think. In a small country that has no history and or baggage of what opera is and should be, the possibilities are endless. You know, and it's quite exciting to be able to do things that no old historian is going to be like, no, this is not how it should be, you know, or something like that. It's freeing and it's creative. Yeah, but just about any other opera you do, it's a, it's a Singapore premiere. But, you know, that also helps, gives you the opportunity to tell that story in that in the way that you want to for the local audience. And, and I think without exception, every opera that we do, I go and speak to the audience members after that. And I will always speak to at least one person that says, this is my first opera, right? And we have the opportunity to introduce them to this art form. And, and to do that in your own country is very special, in the art form that you love, for, in the country that you are from and you want to grow the scene in. So I think it's been a very treasured opportunity to do that. New Opera Singapore has the next generation on its mind as well. For starters, in 2016, it launched a youth wing. The youth wing is designed to provide a more wholesome, comprehensive music education for the younger singers. So this demographic, we're talking about uh, singers from Sec 1 to perhaps early 20s. Their annual production would involve them contributing songs that they're currently working on. We would hire a scriptwriter to create a storyline around the whole thing and then give them the opportunity to also act on stage. So it isn't just about stage experience, it's also about acting training. It's about creativity because then they are expected to market the productions by themselves, which they are doing really well because, you know, the younger generation, they're familiar with TikTok and IG. That's where they have been promoting the uh, productions. Some of the more outstanding singers would audition for the main company and then secure a role where appropriate. Something new that we tried this year was the youth opera vocal competition as well as the three-day opera festival that was held at the Victoria Concert Hall in June. What we did was to have an online open call welcoming submissions from all around the world to submit video clips of their singing. Thereafter, we shortlist some finalists and then invite them to join us in Singapore for a live performance. 
So at the festival, in addition to the competition itself, we arranged for a variety of masterclasses, how to conduct yourself on stage, for example. So all of these initiatives, uh, we hope, would be helpful towards supporting the younger artists. As for Larietta, it is very hopeful about the future of smaller operas that tackle more contemporary issues. There's more chamber opera being written now, globally. And the bulk of it is in English, so thankfully there's a lot of stuff to choose from, right? And people are becoming also, they're tackling uh, issues which have social relevance. For example, a friend, uh, Michael Ching, has a couple of operas. One of them is about the Chinese coolies who went to California and worked. And there's another one which was premiered, I think, in Hong Kong, and then it went to San Francisco. The protagonist is a Filipino maid who works as a domestic helper and the kinds of things that she goes through. Subjects like these are great, you know, and I think both of us want to explore stuff which resonates more. I mean, there's always room for the Carmens and all that. It's great. Great tunes, big spectacles, fantastic. But it's time maybe to also explore that, hey, you know, it's, it's not just that. It's all these tiny little things too. Even as opera ventures into these brave new worlds, its fundamental power of heightening reality holds strong. For Akiko, that means it's important to continue mining opera's unique way of grappling with what it means to be human. The singing community as a whole, we never thought that we would experience something like we have gone through in the last two and a half years. So singing together in whatever way form, I don't think I'll ever take for granted again. And so the question now becomes, okay, we're gathering together. Human beings are meaning-making creatures. We want to create meaning. We are singers, so we make meaning out of our voices. What do we want to do with that? What do we want to remind people of? What do we want to be reminded of ourselves? How to be more sympathetic? How to live a little kinder? And how can we explore that? Through a medium like opera, where it is a heightened art form, where one layer is the libretto, another layer is the melody, another layer is harmony, orchestration, lights. There's so many layers and nuances that we can show in opera. It's pretty spectacular as an art form. And it reminds us also that the human existence and experience is nuanced. And it really depends on what you want to shine your lights at. I think we're always exploring through opera, how do we become more human? Making a Scene is produced by Esplanade, Theatres on the Bay, Singapore's National Performing Arts Centre. Our theme music is from Angels by Houst. Look for more episodes of Making a Scene at esplanade.com slash offstage. Thanks for listening and stay tuned for more inspiring conversations with art makers. <laughs>